invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, looking at verses 15 through 17 as we um, come to baptism this morning and just seeing the love that Jesus has for his children. <clears throat> if you have your Bible open, you, it's worth noting that our story takes place uh, here in the middle of the context of stories, a series of stories that ask and answer the question, who finds favor with God? Uh, who, gets, who gets the blessings of God? And if you notice in chapter 18, the first story and the last story are both uh, stories about prayer, persistence in prayer. The, the uh, persistent widow, uh, she finds favor because she persists in prayer. The blind beggar, um, people are telling him to be quiet, shut up, and he just keeps praying. Lord God, son of, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. And, um, and he does. Uh, so persistent people who pray in faith and with persistence, they receive God, God's mercy. The story right before ours is the Pharisee and the tax collector. Everyone would have assumed that the Pharisee is the one who receives the favor of God. He's the moral man, the religious man. And yet the story clearly shows that he does not receive the grace of God. In fact, it's the wicked tax collector uh, who confesses his sin, crying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And so it's repentant sinners who receive the grace of God. Right after our story is the rich young ruler, a man who uh, he wants the blessing of God, he wants eternal life, doesn't think he has any sin, and, but when Jesus uh, places his finger on uh, his love of his money and possessions, uh, he walks away from Jesus uh, because he's in love with these things and he did not receive the grace of God. So, um, so here we have all these stories about who receives the grace and favor of God, who receives the blessing of God. And this morning in our story, we find that children, children of the covenant, receive the blessing of God. Let's read together verse 15. Now they were bringing, bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Well, God, we come this morning as those who need mercy. We need grace. Uh, we cannot live without your favor. And we thank you that in Jesus Christ, the love and the, the mercy of God has shown in this world and in, into our lives, and not just our lives, but the lives of our children and I pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning understand these truths and delight in them and, uh, and raise our children in these truths. We'll give you the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, does Jesus love your children? I mean, really love them. Are they unique and precious in Jesus' eyes, in his mind? Do they belong to him? And if you would probably, most of you would say yes to those questions, um, my, my, my second question would be, what evidence could you provide from Scripture to prove that's the case? Uh, because there are many, we have many brothers and sisters who do not believe that's the case. We have many brothers and sisters who do not believe that our children have any special relationship to the Lord, that they are uh, in every way like children of the world, and, um, and, and so would not say that uh, Jesus has a particular uh, concern and care for children of the church. Um, well, one of the best evidences that we have is the evidence of the sacrament of baptism. 
a sign that God gives, a word that God speaks to us and to our children. And it's a word and, uh, that we can use as parents to raise our children in faith. Matthew Henry, uh, many of you know him, he's a famous pastor and commentator of the 18th, 19th century. Uh, his father, Philip, was a man who um, used the uh, idea of, of Matthew Henry's little infant baptism to raise Matthew Henry. You, there are some pamphlets we have here uh, in the back, the handle of infant baptism. It tells this story. They'll be on the a table right outside the door here. Uh, feel free to pick one up. It's a, it's a wonderful reminder of the blessings and, and of baptism and how to use baptism as a parent to raise your children. So uh, we're told that Philip, Matthew Henry's father, in dealing with his children about their spiritual state, he took hold of them very much by the handle of, of their infant baptism and frequently pressed upon them that they were born in God's house, were dedicated and given up to him, and therefore were obliged to be his servants. Matthew Henry's father would routinely press upon uh, his young son that God had purposefully loved him and placed him in a believing Christian home, and that God himself had placed the sign of baptism, the sign of the covenant, upon little Matthew, reminding him that uh, God loved him in spite of his sin and that he needed in Jesus Christ and, and could be cleansed from his sin in Jesus Christ. Uh, the sacrament of baptism is, is not an empty ritual. It means something for parents and for our children. And this morning, in this wonderful little story, we're going to see the love, the special love that Jesus has for covenant children, his little children. As I said, Luke places this story in the context of, story, of a series of stories that ask the question, who receives the favor of God? Um, the, the Gospels are not always written chronologically. The, the material is often arranged to make a point, to, to teach a certain thing. And Luke is, is uh, asking the question because people often um, mistakenly assume who gets the grace of God. They would assume the Pharisee gets the grace of God, for instance. Even the rich young ruler, he was a, he was a, a very moral man, very conscientious man. And yet, neither he nor the Pharisee actually received the grace of God. Luke wants us to see the special favor and love that Jesus has for covenant children. We're going to follow the story through, beginning with the parents' desire. We're told that parents are coming, bringing their children and even their infants to Jesus. This story is told in Matthew's gospel and Mark's. And um, in Matthew's gospel, we're told that there's a very large crowd, and the people are coming, bringing their young ones. The question we want to ask is why? Why would they be bringing their children to Jesus? Matthew tells, um, Luke tells us uh, so that it is so that he might touch them. Um, Matthew says the same, uh, that he might touch and pray for them. Why do they want Jesus to touch their children and pray for their children? Uh, parents, um, I think many of you would be a little offended if, if, uh, some, if people just are touching your, your, your little babies. Uh, these, these parents are eager to have their children brought to Jesus and to have Jesus. They want Jesus to touch their, ch their child and to pray for their child. Why? Well, because they believe that Jesus is uniquely a man of God. Some say he's a prophet. The, uh, others maybe are suggesting he's the Messiah. But they are convinced that in some way God dwells in this man and with this man. And these parents are hungry for the blessing of God for their children. They're not, they're not apathetic about God's stance towards their little ones. What parent could be? They believe that, the, that, 
the blessing of God will, will come to their children through the, the touch of Jesus' hands and the, the prayer that comes from Jesus' lips. That, uh, that the, this blessing is not an empty sign for them. God's blessings are a speech act. It accomplishes what it says. Calvin notes, we must notice that the purpose, the purpose of those who brought their children, it would have been meaningless for them to have offered their children had there not been a conviction in their minds that to him, to Jesus, was given the power of the Spirit which he would pour out on the people of God. That's what they want for their children. For God's blessing, God's presence to be with their child. Isn't, isn't that what every believing parent wants? Of all the things that our culture tells us we should want for our children, that they're smart and that they're good-looking, that they're talented, that they're capable, athletic, whatever it might be, the one thing that Christian parents want more than anything in the whole world is the blessing of God, that we want God to be the God of our children and to be near them and to watch over them, to save them from them, themselves. I was just talking um, uh, just last week again, with a, uh, just this week, I'm sorry, with a, with a parent who has a child walking away from the Lord, a pastor, and tears running down his face as he prays for his son. Every believing parent wants this. The grace and the favor of God for our children. Well, that's what they're asking for. And they come expecting to get it. They come expecting to be received. Remember, these are Jewish parents. They are people who have a long history of understanding that God made a covenant with them through Abraham, their father. And that, therefore, they are members of the covenant community and their children are because God had said they were. I will be a God to you and your descendants after you. And therefore, their children have a right to the blessing of God. Because they're covenant members. And God promised His blessings to members, believing members of His covenant. It is their, it is their covenantal right to claim by faith the blessing of God for their children. Parents, it's exactly the same for us. We have the right to appeal to God, to give uh, to our children the covenantal blessing He promises, right, to be God to us and our children. And so they come to claim their covenantal right, and it is exactly here that we find the transgression of the disciples. The disciples' debacle, we see in verse 15, when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. It's a very strong word. Uh, you, can, you can hear them shouting, right, get back, get back. Get these kids out of here. Leave us alone. Jesus is doing important work here. Can't be bothered. Go home. Sinclair Ferguson says that they were acting less like apostles and more like bouncers. They put themselves between these children and Jesus and said, over our dead body. Well, um, be easy to just rebuke them. But remember, these are young men, probably late teens. Peter's probably the oldest, early 20s, and you know Peter. Uh, they're, they're caught up in the moment. They're eager to protect Jesus. It's a very big responsibility they have. And, and they see these parents and these noisy little babies as an annoyance. And I'm sure that they, would, they assume Jesus would feel the same way. Jesus is very, very important. And in the social scale of that day, Children are very, very unimportant. 
the lowest on the very lowest rung of the social ladder. They don't, they don't matter. Not, not, certainly not in the presence of Jesus, who's doing all this very, very significant things, these very significant things. Jesus is healing people and teaching the truth about God. This is no place for children. Well, that's, um, that's what they think, and they could not possibly be more mistaken. Uh, children do not matter to them, but they matter profoundly to Jesus and his Father. <clears throat> Just a little note on the side. One of the reasons that we have children in church, I know many churches don't, but one of the reasons that we do is because we believe that our little ones have a right to all the means of grace that big people do. And so children uh, have a right to hear the preaching because we believe preaching is a means of grace. And children have a right to observe the sacraments because sacraments are a means of grace. And, and even if they're not participating in the Lord's Supper, they're learning, they're watching, they're being taught that they're part of the covenant community. We do those things on purpose. And yeah, sometimes it gets noisy. Uh, I'm sure it was noisy here too. But Jesus, right, cares about our kids. And Jesus wants our children to be in the arena of blessing. So when the disciples say, leave us alone, Jesus rebukes them uh, to their face. We need to remember that one of the, um, one of the th things that we find through, through the Gospels is Jesus' love for children. Think about how many uh, miracles Jesus performed for children, calling the parents to faith and healing the child, casting the demon out of the child, raising the child from the dead. Over and over, you find Jesus doing these miraculous things for children. Why? Because he loves our children. Our children are precious in his sight. He delights in children that he has placed intentionally into Christian homes and into the church community. Conversely, the devil hates children, doesn't he? Everywhere you see evil reigning, children are suffering. Children are dying. Manasseh was the most wicked king in the history of Israel, and uh, his crimes were crowned by offering children as a sacrifice to the false god Molech. The abortion holocaust in our country is the greatest evil of our time. Over 63 million babies have died since 1973 um, by abortion. And yes, the, the Supreme Court has made its decision, but, but our culture yearns for the right to kill their children. It's just an incredible evil that, we've, that we see in our, in our own day. Uh, but Christians, then, should be, we should be notable for our love for children. The, the, the church ought to be profoundly and noticeably pro-life. Jesus loves his little children. Those of you who are bearing and raising children... The Lord bless you. It is deeply pleasing to God. Those of you who are adopting and fostering children, the Lord bless you. May your number increase. It is deeply pleasing to the Lord our God when his people have the same concern that Jesus himself has. And we should marvel at the blessings of God on, on our church in giving us children. It's such, a, it's such a kind thing. We take it for granted so easily. But Jesus loves covenant children. The evidence is seen, as I said, in his response to the disciples. Jesus, verse 16, called them, the disciples, to him. This is a lot like going to the principal's office. And Jesus rebukes them. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. 
We know from Mark's account, chapter 10, that Jesus was indignant. It's a very strong word. He was very angry when he spoke to these men. It's the strongest word of rebuke that we have in the Gospels. Uh, as Jesus is outraged by, the, by what his disciples are doing in his name. I think we tend to hear Jesus' words sort of in a gentle, soft tone, like a, like a grandmother saying, oh, you know, give, give her to me. You know, nice, gentle. That's not what, what we read in the text. Uh, when Jesus says, do not hinder them, he's talking directly to his disciples and rebuking them strongly. They're, they're, we should hear the holy indignation in his voice. How dare you prevent these covenant children from coming to me for a blessing. How dare you stand between me and my little children? How dare you hinder them from receiving what is rightfully theirs? John Calvin again says, The laying on of hands was certainly no frivolous or empty symbol. The fact that he embraced them was a testimony that Christ reckoned them in his flock. It is an irreligious audacity to drive from Christ, the, uh, Christ's fold, those whom he nursed in his bosom, and to shut the door on them as strangers when he did not wish to forbid them. An irreligious audacity. Let them come to me. And there's a reason Jesus gives why they must be allowed access to Jesus and to his blessing. And the reason is, for to such belong the kingdom of God. They have a right to the blessing of Jesus as a, a covenantal, this, this covenantal blessing as covenantal members. They're heirs of the covenant. It belongs to them. Now, that's a debated issue I recognize in the church today, but I, I'm convinced this is where our Baptist brothers and sisters make a mistake. Uh, they, they see Jesus using the children here as a metaphor, an illustration, sort of a visual aid to make the spiritual point of verse 17. And it's, an e it's a mistake easily made, but it, notice in verse 17, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so the, the, the typical Baptist position is that uh, Jesus is just using these children as a teaching aid to say, unless you come to Christ uh, in faith, with the simple faith of a child, you cannot be saved. Well, let's just unpack that. I, I do not believe that's what Jesus is saying uh, in, at all. If you look at verse 16, Jesus says, the kingdom belongs to such as these. The kingdom belongs to such as these. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Greek where it shows that Jesus is uh, not just speaking about these specific children, but, but a category, such as these, a category. And John MacArthur, a noted Baptist, agrees with me on this, or I, I with him, doesn't matter how you cut it. Jesus is saying, MacArthur says, that the kingdom of, of God belongs to those who are in this category. That's exactly right. The critical question then is, what is the category? What is this category? Who is Jesus referring to when he says such as these? To whom does the kingdom belong? Uh, whom are the proper recipients of, of the blessings of God? MacArthur and, and many if not most Baptists uh, say the, the category is the category of babies. So MacArthur believes that all children are in the kingdom of all children, all babies are in the kingdom of God simply by virtue of being babies. 
by being children until they get to the age of accountability. Well, so this is MacArthur. Babies are in the kingdom of God because they're in the category of babies. Children are in the kingdom of God because they're in the category of children. Well, my response to that would simply be, well, that would be a real shock to these Jewish parents. Uh, because there's nothing in, the, in all of the Old Testament that would suggest that God ha- loves and blesses the children of the surrounding pagan nations simply because there's children's, because they're children. However, there are numerous explicit uh, statements uh, and promises of God's love and favor for His covenant children. The uh, MacArthur himself acknowledges that, there's, that nowhere in the Bible does God pronounce saving blessings or, or covenantal blessings um, favor to unbelievers. And yet he wants to carve out the category of babies being in the kingdom because they're babies. Well, I, I, just make, I, I think that's just making up a category. It's, it's, it, there's nothing in Scripture to support that. The category is covenant children. And you have the whole history of the Old Testament to support that. You have every promise that God made to Abraham to support that. Remember, it is Jesus himself who appeared to Abraham. Jesus spoke to Abraham saying, I will be a God to you and to your children after you in his pre-incarnate state. So the same Lord who spoke to Abraham with that covenant promise is now affirming that promise to Abraham's descendants. His word has not changed. Right? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is our beautiful biblical warrant, one of, uh, of the warrants we have for baptizing our children. They're God-given offspring of the covenant, and they have a God-given warrant to the covenant blessing. Jesus says, let them come to me. Do not hinder them. Sinclair Ferguson, uh, speaking of another famous Baptist, uh, Charles Spurgeon, says Spurgeon didn't believe children should be baptized because children can't make a decision for Jesus. And that's the common Baptist argument. Children can't make a decision for Jesus. Ferguson goes on, but what this passage is saying is that Jesus has made a decision for the children and it's his decision that counts. This is why we baptize our children because Jesus said the kingdom belongs to them. That's a pretty good warrant. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Moms and dads, bring your children to me. That's what Jesus says. These, these, these covenant children that I've given to you, bring them to me, that they might be blessed, that they might receive the grace and the favor of God. And so Jesus here establishes the reality of covenant promise and covenant blessing and the warrant of a covenant uh, sign to be given. And yet, at this, in the very next verse, he warns against covenant presumption. See, one of the concerns and justifiable concern that our Baptist brothers and sisters will have is that if you tell people that they're in the covenant because um, they're members of the covenant because they were born in a covenant home, they're going to think that they're saved just because they got baptized. They're going to think they got saved just because they got raised in the church. And, and many people do make that mistake. They made that mistake in Jesus' day. There are all kinds of Jews who thought that they were in the covenant that, or, or thought that they were saved right with God, heirs of everlasting life, simply because they were Jewish, they were Abraham's descendants. And Jesus says, I can raise Abraham's descendants out of the rocks. So, so we're... We want to recognize the danger of presumption, 
Uh, there, I think we all know of, of, of people, maybe we've experienced it in our own life, where, where people just think that, well, I go to church, I send my kids to Christian school, or I homeschool them, or we, we teach them to be good moral kids, and, they, and did we mention they go to church? We all go to church, we've been going to church for years. Um, and they just assume that that means they're in, that, that means that they're saved. Well, no, Jesus, Jesus addresses that presumption straight up in verse 17. Truly I say to you, now he's turning, facing the, not just the disciples but the crowd, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. And which would have been a bit of a surprise. These parents are coming with their children. They're coming uh, to be blessed. And Jesus now challenges them. He doesn't forbid them. He welcomes them, but he challenges them. I say to you. It's exactly like Jesus' uh, engagement with Nicodemus. Remember, uh, a religious teacher, a Pharisee, a very brilliant man who comes to Jesus and Jesus challenges him. Unless you're born again, you, will, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's the same message. Jesus knows the assumptions and the presumptions that live in the hearts of these people. And he's eager to disabuse them of their mistaken notions. He wants to challenge them that they would actually live by coming to faith in him. You see, covenant babies belong to the kingdom, Jesus says. They have a warrant to covenant blessing, but the kingdom is not entered without faith in Jesus Christ. You don't get, boys and girls, young people, you don't get into the kingdom because you have a Christian mom and dad. It doesn't work like that. Because you go to church. Because um, maybe you say you believe in some things. It just doesn't work like that. I think we have young, young people and, and children, and it's an easy mistake to make that, that you just live your life as you please, you're serving your flesh, uh, you're doing your thing, and, but you're quite sure that everything's fine between you and God because, well, you go to church and you're, you, your mom and dad believe. Boys and girls, Jesus wants you to know that it doesn't work like that. I say to you, Jesus says, that unless you come with the faith of a child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. The faith of a child is a dependent faith. The faith of a child comes recognizing, I got nothing to give. I'm not a, right? We, we have nothing to bring to God why he should save us. We're not basically good, you know, good people. We're, we're not. We're, we're, we, we really are sinners, desperate in, in need of a savior. You see, external covenant membership cannot save us. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can save us. And Jesus does that. That's the beauty of the gospel. For everyone who comes in childlike, with childlike faith, casting themselves upon Jesus and believing in him. So my question for you this morning is, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you cast yourself? I don't care how old you are. Have you confessed your sin, the truth of it? Have you confessed that you cannot save yourself? Have you acknowledged before God that if he were to be just, he would send you forever into hell? And yet you, by the power of the Spirit, recognize that Jesus Christ is able to give you life by his own uh, crucified body, by his sacrifice on your behalf, and that you run to that Jesus for your salvation. I hope you have, and if you haven't, I pray that you would do that today. Moms and dads, we need to teach our children both the reality of God's love and favor for them and we need to teach them their responsibility and their need to go to Jesus Christ 
in faith, confessing their faith, just like we saw Cecilia do this morning and Kathy Owens and the others as they testify. That they believe in Jesus Christ and they, they have no hope except what Jesus Christ has done for them. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing and we need to teach our children both truths. Let me end with this quote from Matthew Henry as he recounts his father's instruction using baptism. He says, I cannot but take occasion to express my gratitude to God for my infant baptism, not only as it was an early admission into the visible body of Christ, but it furnished my pious parents with a good argument for an early dedication of my own self to God in my childhood. If God has wrought any good work upon my soul, I desire with humble thankfulness to acknowledge the influence of my infant baptism upon it. I just pray that our children one day will say the same. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for his love for our children, for the children of the church. And, and Lord, I thank you that we can bring our children that you've given to us this morning for baptism and the confidence that you delight in them and you welcome them and you receive them. And we thank you, Jesus, that you've called these parents uh, to, to present their children and, uh, to you for, the, for your blessing and also to instruct their children according to the ways of God and to, and to raise them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, through these things, you accomplish your great saving work, and we thank you for it. Father, we pray for children who are wandering from the faith this morning. You know their names and their their need, and oh God, please be merciful to baptize children who are living today in unbelief. I pray that your Holy Spirit would break through uh, in, in, and open their eyes to see the truth of their condition and their need for Christ and his love for them, and that you would bring them home. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to proceed now.